Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord God, for all those who have come. We uh, ask you just, Holy Spirit, understanding again, uh, I'm not that good to, of a speaker. So, Lord God, it has to be you that gets the point across to us in your word. I thank you for the understanding. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to get right to it. They've been dividing the land out here and there to the different tribes. They're throwing lots. The uh, the lots determine where your tribe gets an inheritance in the promised land, not how much land. Your It's your population of your tribe determines how much area, but they're throwing lots and dividing out the land. And they've been doing that for a while, and we saw a pattern of defeat coming up. People stopped kicking out the enemy that was occupying their territory. God says, go in there and take them, wipe them out, get them out of there. Uh, he gave them enough time to repent and get right with him, and they wouldn't do it. Now judgment's here, sending Israel in, kill those guys. The Canaanites and the Jebusites and all these people that are under curse from way back in Noah's time, that curse was pronounced on them to enable Israel to come in and just take the land. It's like, there's your land, go get it. Well, lately they started thinking, well, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. And so that pattern set in, and we're going to see what it does to the people here now in Joshua 18 and 1 where the remainder of the land is divided. It says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. Okay. Well, the land is subdued still. Nothing changed. Okay. God still laid it out for you. Go get it. So, but here's what's interesting, though. We see that the Israelites made this massive move to Shiloh. Uh, Why Shiloh? That's what I'm wondering. Put that map up. There's a map, and you can see Shiloh. Okay, so you can see Shiloh here in the map. Actually, it says, uh, I think it's right about here. It says, actually, on the map in the, in the territory of Ephraim, it says Silo there. That's may, maybe a pronunciation. So they, they go to Shiloh. Because that's what it says here in the text. It says they, they, moved, they went to Shiloh, okay? Now, if you notice, of course, in the map, Shiloh, I'm wondering when I read these things, why, why make this move? Why suddenly do this? Uh, first of all, why Shiloh in that location? Shiloh's real centrally located. It's right in the middle, of, pretty much in the, in the center of everything. And so being central, centrally located would make it more easily accessible to the rest of Israel. Everybody can get there quite easy. It's kind of nice in the middle of everything. And so I see the reason to build the tabernacle over in Shiloh because of that location. But why now? I'm not asking just where. I'm asking why now? Why suddenly move up to Shiloh at this point in time? Why do it now? My question for asking why now is, 
is there a strategic reason for suddenly hopping up into Shiloh? We've been out here and there, wherever. Well, okay, now everybody moved to Shiloh, it said, and set up the tabernacle. Why, why all of a sudden? Why not finish giving the remaining seven tribes their inheritance first and then go build the tabernacle? Why go there to Shiloh and build the tabernacle now? Well, like I was saying a bit ago, let's recall that the Israelites, their behavior in the previous chapter, they were doubting. The children of Joseph, they were given their territory and they weren't happy with it. This, this, ain't, this ain't good. We don't, we don't like this. It's not good enough. And the Israelites started thinking that they could not take out their enemy that was living in their land, even though God promised them they'd be able to take them out. God says, your enemy, I enable you to take them out. Go do it. Well, now we can't. Or, or the land's not good enough. Well, we don't like this. We don't like that. There's a bunch of complaining going on. And the tribes were not taking action like they were supposed to. And now a pattern of defeat had set in. And now you got seven tribes just sitting there. They, they don't even have their inheritance. They're not even going for it. That pattern of defeat got in and affected the other people, and now we're just sitting there. <laughs> so I think Joshua needed to do something now to promote a sense of national unity. God, I pray we could get that in America today. Something that comes up and gives us national unity all of a sudden, instead of tearing each other apart all the time. And so what better way to unite the nation and revitalize the Israelites' sense of purpose again than to set up the tabernacle. <laughs> now is the time to go set up the tabernacle. There's too much defeat going on. People aren't sure of themselves anymore. Oh, we can't do it. Okay, well, let's go set up the tabernacle. Now we're going to get back together again. I think that's why they're doing this now. It would remind the people of three things. We're God's people. God got us here, and we have his promise in the land. They're going to get reminded of that by building the tabernacle again. You know, Josh was a good leader. This was a good move <laughs> to do this all of a sudden. And I think he sensed that the people were war-weary. They were tired. They were exhausted. And it was starting to weaken their faith. You ever get there? Huh, yeah. It was necessary to pause from all this work, all this hard work, and build everybody back up again in the Lord. It's time to build the people back up. And you know what? We need to do this very same thing here every once in a while. Our work, our lives, it gets so routine. We get to doing the same old heavy thing all the time, going into work and punching that clock and facing Houston traffic. And every now and then you need to revitalize again. You need to get built back up. When you get dragged down to that point like that, then you're not walking in the promises that God gave you, but rather you start walking in defeat, and then that pattern of defeat starts kicking up, and now it affects everybody else. And now everybody else is like, well, I'm just going to stay home and not do nothing. Everybody's defeated now because it started somewhere and it, it picked up on everybody. Uh, let's get everybody back together and pump everybody back up again. That's when it's time to unite together as one and build up the dwelling place of the Lord to assemble together and encourage the body of Christ, which is the church. That would be us now. They built the tabernacle, the pre-temple. We are now the temple. And I'm glad you come in here once a week, every Sunday, to get built back up again because you've got to go back out to that mundane routine that's designed to tear you down. Keep coming in here, get built back up in Christ. Let's get unified and get your sense of purpose back on again. I need it. Uh, well, Ray, you're the pastor. You're the one talking. You're the one talking. Yeah, but y'all come in and y'all encourage me just by being here. So it's good for me. I hope it's good for you. 
build everybody up. Every now and then we have to hit the pause button on all of our busyness. You ever get so busy you just forgot the basics of what you're supposed to, what, what you're here for? I think that's what happened to Israel. They kind of forgot, what, what are we here for? Who got us here? He guaranteed us uh, an easy takeover, and they're starting to forget that. You start forgetting, then it's time to get out of the busyness, come back down to the basics again, that God has called us to a life of victory, not defeat, and he's given us the promise to even be able to walk in it. He didn't just say, oh, go, go try to make a victory. He said, I already did that part. I give it to you. Now go take it. Israel's not taking it anymore. They're just, oh, we can't do it. Guys, I've been there. I was there this week. <laughs> My truck's in the shop again. I'm going to be without it for a whole week. How am I, what am I supposed to do this week? I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'm going to walk in victory. I'm not going to sit down. Oh, I lost my truck. <laughs> if I can't deal with a truck being in the shop, I shouldn't be up here preaching. So God has given us a promise. We should walk in it. Now, I hope you're not coming to church for American tradition. <laughs> I used to go to church for that just because it was the American thing to do. We need to come get built back up every now and then. Often, actually, is the world's getting really messed up. You ever notice that, how bad things are getting? Boy, you're going to need it here now. Be built up in the Lord. So don't just come here for tradition. Come here to be built up in the Lord, to walk in His promise of victory. Israel needed that then, they still need it now, and we need it today. The Israelites demonstrated through their doubt that they had started to forget why they're even there. They're in the land. Don't you remember you've been a slave in 400 years in Egypt? You got lost wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now you're in the land. This is where you've been wanting to get to all this time. And you're just going to sit down. I think it's kind of like, guys, let's get back together and build up the tabernacle and unite and remember why we're here. <laughs> Sometimes I forget why I'm on this earth. I start thinking, oh, I got to take care of this and I got to take care of that. And I get busy and I forget God has called me to walk in victory. And I'm like, oh, yes. And then I'm back on again. (laughs) God got them out of slavery and he promised them into this land. So friends, have you forgotten that Jesus died on the cross to take you out of slavery and promised you into eternal life? Oh, walk around like this all the time. You've got eternal life ahead of you if you're a believer. Did you forget? Yes, we do sometimes because we're fallen beings. I I had to ask the question, where's all the doubt coming from that the Israelites have? Where's all that doubt coming from? You know, you and I are no different than the Israelites uh, here in this regard. Israel lost faith that they could not conquer their enemies. They forgot the promise of God, and therefore the integrity of the nation started to break apart. That's happening in America right now, and it pains me to watch it. And so Joshua makes this timely and a strategic move to Shiloh to build up the tabernacle, to get the people united back together to remember that they have a promise in God that they can conquer. Just got to believe in the promise. They stop somewhere. You know, when a pattern of defeat starts taking control of your life and it starts repeating itself over and over again, it will destroy your sense of purpose and it will stop your walk with God. We don't need that. You don't need it. We need to build each other up here in the body of Christ. Now, tribe after tribe has been refusing to kick out the enemy in their territory. And the sense of defeat and doubt had gotten so bad that now these remaining seven tribes have absolutely zero motivation to go claim their own portions. 
When things get that bad, it's time to make a change. And Joshua did. We're going to Shiloh. We're rebuilding the tabernacle. I believe this is why he chose it at this time at Shiloh to go to Shiloh. Now, all through the conquest of the land, they went down and they tore down Jericho. They went and tore down the city of Ai. They went and tore this place down and tore that place down. They got used to tearing things down, but now they're building something up. (laughs) We're building the tabernacle. It's like, this is different from what we've been doing. We've been knocking down walls or watching God knock walls down. Now we're building something. We're building the tabernacle of God. Friends, don't let the pattern of defeat take over your life. It will destroy your motivation to walk with God. Unite with us in the body of Christ, a body of Christ, wherever God calls you. Unite in the assembly and let's build up the temple of God. And it will restore your sense of purpose in the Lord, just like it's going to do for the Israelites here. But now their drive is back on again. They've built the tabernacle and they're like, mm, now we're back on. Okay. They're, they're excited again. And now that the drive's back on, Joshua has to make another timely decision. Now he's going to ask them a burning question. Now I got them. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Joshua 18 and 3. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? How long are you going to wait? How long are you going to wait? He gave it to you. What are you waiting on? Notice that Joshua waited for them to build up the tabernacle first before he asked this question. (laughs) Sometimes I want to knee-jerk react and just ask the question first, why aren't you, you know, and just kick people in the tail. That doesn't work for people when they're they're whipped. When people are defeated, that's that's not good motivation. He had them build the tabernacle first before asking this question. He needed to build them up first before putting them to this challenge. And friends, I want us to remember this part of the story because there's people that are defeated around you. Maybe you are. We need to remember to be compassionate with people when they fall into doubt. We need to be compassionate. That's not the time to kick somebody while they're down. Maybe they're a little lazy. Maybe they're doubting all these things. And instead, of, oh, you shouldn't be like that. Oh, if you just had Jesus, you wouldn't be acting like that. Okay, that's really going to do them a lot of good. You just sent up their force fields. You're never getting in now. The time in a, sense, in a situation like this, it's time to have compassionate. Don't kick them while they're down because you will some point be down yourself. There's going to be a time when you're in doubt. There's going to be a time when you're hurting and you're going to want somebody with compassion to come and build you up. The Bible says to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness because they're injured. Don't injure them even more. Give them the opportunity with gentleness, encouragement. Give them the opportunity to want to climb up again. And I think this is exactly what Joshua did with the Israelites here before asking them the question, how long are you going to wait to go take your portions? He waited to get them built up first before he asked that question. I think it's very orderly things to do. And we need to try to remember this order of operation that Josh was doing because you have, help, you have a helping effect and influence on people who are hurt. And it's not for you to go stick them in the side. Hey, get up, stop doing that. Be compassionate. And then when they get built up, then ask them the question, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Come on, let's go. You see what Joshua did? I think it's real good stuff for us to learn from. Joshua 18 and 4. So now he says, 
Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. And so he's telling these remaining seven guys, look, I mean, we got all these guys already got theirs. What are you waiting on? Now go survey the land, bring the survey back to me. And remember, the Levites did not get a portion because Jesus is their portion. Jesus is their inheritance. And I always like to make the parallel, don't look for your inheritance down here. It's not down here. Don't be striving for all that money. Don't be striving for all that success. I'm not saying it's wrong to have ambition. I'm not saying it's wrong to be successful and and do things. I'm saying don't expect that to be your inheritance. It's not down here. Your inheritance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are priests in Jesus. So the Levites got no portion because their inheritance was in, in the Lord himself. And so Joshua knows the people are built back up and they're ready again. And in verse 4, Joshua did not say, I'm going to show you what Joshua did say, but I'm also going to show you what he did not say. Joshua, in verse 4, did not say, survey the land according to its inhabitants. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He He said, survey it according to inheritance. The inheritance of the land was proportionate to the size of the tribe. However, the population of your tribe, if it was a big tribe, you got a bigger piece of land. If you were a small population tribe, you got a smaller piece of land. He said, don't gauge it on those enemies that are in there. You gauge it on how many people's in your tribe. So survey it according to the inheritance. Remember, before this, the the Israelites were saying, we can't take the land. The enemy's too big. The enemy's too big. They have big chariots. They're giants. We can't do it. So what Joshua is actually saying here is don't survey the land according to the size of the enemy. Survey the land according to the size of God's promise. Whew. Now we're cooking. The enemy should have no bearing on the survey whatsoever. Go and survey it according to inheritance. Survey it according to what the size that God has given you. The enemy is not even a factor in this. He's trying to tell them, you've been been going about it the wrong way. Y'all been letting the enemy stop you. You're supposed to take it. Don't base it on them. Base it on the promise. Can you hear the charge in Joshua's command now? Go get it. Oh, those enemies. Don't do it like that. Survey it according to the promise of your inheritance. He is talking to a restored people now. He couldn't tell them this not long ago before Shiloh. Now he can. The people are motivated again. And because they're motivated again, now Joshua is challenging them again. The challenge comes with the motivation. I hope you're getting built up today. Because if you get built up here in a bit, I'm going to challenge you, okay? So they are about to turn defeat into victory because the enemy is no longer their focal point. Their faith is the focal point now. 
Now, I have a nice detail here that I want to point out. The historian Josephus, he wrote that the men that Joshua commanded to go and do the survey, they were experts in land surveying. I mean, why not pick these guys? They know how to do it. Now, the Israelites have been slave in, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were lost in the desert 40 years before that. Where do you think these men learned the skill of land surveying? Well, they picked it up in Egypt. That's where they've been. <laughs> they've been there for hundreds of years. They learned this in Egypt. And so something I want us to recognize here is that the work, the work that these men suffered under in slavery is about to become their key to freedom. What they picked up in slavery is about to become their way to freedom as they go survey the land. Egypt, their oppressors taught them how to survey the land. They're taking what their oppressor put on them, and now it's going to be their freedom. Friends, the work that Jesus suffered on the cross is our way to freedom. Now, the Israelites went through suffering, and I know that you are too. Everybody is. Everybody has pain. But I want to tell you something about your pain. And that, like, let's keep in mind that the context of these Israelites, they went through pain, but what they got from it, they're now going to use it to say, I'm free now. I want you to see something here in 1 Peter 4.13. It says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. These last seven tribes are soon about to enter the joy of their inheritance, but it came through suffering. They didn't, it just didn't fall in their lap. They went through trials. The trials that you face right now, they're not just there to mess you over for no reason. The sufferings that you're experiencing as a believer are someday going to bring you exceeding joy when Christ reveals his glory. Look at how suffering gained the Israelites a way to freedom in Joshua 18. They're now utilizing something they took under pressure is now going to free them. Same with you. Something you're undergoing through pressure of trial is going to be the very thing you're going to use later somehow for your freedom. That's something good. Because when I'm in the middle of a trial, I don't know how to make sense of it. I, I just don't know how to do it. I tell people that God does his best work in our weakness, but you can see what you can do with this. Because look what the Israelites are doing with it. So what, what I want to say is that their pain became their freedom. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. His pain became my freedom. Jesus' pain became my freedom. And so for you today, whatever your trials are, rejoice in it. God's got this. God is going to turn it into exceeding joy. Just you wait and see. It will happen. Joshua 18 and 8. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before, for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.